0: what i think is negative and and problematic and something that i think the nft space in general like everyone should be thinking about obviously like myself included is like how is that line drawn and why is that line drawn and who can access that the other side of that line right now that line is drawn based on purchasing power and i think that is problematic from you know both in terms of like, does that mean that people without purchasing power can't access these communities, as well as just for the communities themselves, right? Like the people who have the highest purchasing power might actually not be the best community members. If you think about the like amount of engagement that these, or like the creativity it takes for for people within these communities to like take initiative and say like, hey, I have this new idea, you know, I have this new idea that can drive value to the community at large. That actually has nothing to do with how much money that person has. And it has everything to do with like their skills, their experiences, their background. And therefore, when we draw lines of who gets to access the community based on purchasing power, you're actually like, you're not actually like letting in the right people necessarily.
1: Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. The official podcast of Unstoppable Domains and the go-to place for everybody to learn about the latest innovations in Web3, NFTs, and the decentralized web. Join us each week to hear from experts, entrepreneurs, and the early stage investors that are building the future on the blockchain. Not only will this podcast help you understand why these emerging technologies are so important, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the metaverse. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, everyone. I appreciate you tuning in. We've got a great guest with us today. My name is Josh Gordon. I'm the host and joined with me is Maria Shen. She's a partner on the investment team at Electric Capital. She's been a founder and CTO at a startup and has a master's degree in engineering and comp sci from Cornell. So she's got the technical chops to really dive into the code and the strategy experience to help build companies. Maria is also a member of the Board Ape Yacht Club. So shout out to all the apes out there which is an NFT community that's really taken the world by storm in the last year. Maria, welcome. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: For sure. I've been following you for a while. I think initially after I saw you in the, the Bored Ape Yacht Club with your NFT avatar, and then since then followed and, and read a lot of the reports you've written around NFTs, the developer report, and just kind of followed some of the electric capital investments and in some of the portfolio companies. So I think that you have a lot to bring to the table from like your experience. And something that I, I think is interesting is... When you're an investor focused on Web3 companies, like how you form that thesis and and really stick to, you know, that belief in what the future could look like. So I'm, I'm excited to talk through some of these NFT use cases with you. Absolutely. Yeah. To start off, could you give all of our listeners, you know, a background on you and kind of talk us through how you got into crypto and and what led you to wanting to invest really in Web3 companies?
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I can just go chronologically. I studied political science and computer science at Harvard. And then after graduation, went to work at Microsoft for a few years as a PM. Just worked on search tech there, left after my product shipped and went to get my master's in computer science, mainly because I wanted to start a company and I uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. And so it was a good tactic to stall for time. And then while I was doing that, You know, I I started my company while I was in grad school and then afterwards worked on it. And this was kind of in the 2015, 2016 era where direct to consumer was really taking off. People realized all of a sudden, you know, wow, you can use Instagram. To sell directly to your customers. And if you wanted to have an athleisure line, you didn't need to be Nike and like you didn't need to be Adidas like you could actually just create your own. So if you recall, you know, Warby Parker really took off during this time. Casper really took off during this time. This is when a lot of people were starting their own Shopify stores and like Shopify was starting to take off. And so during that era, the company that I worked on was effectively supply chain as a back end because these businesses were so good at marketing, so good at creating product. Anyways, fast forward to now having customers at small businesses in the US, UK, and Canada and working with manufacturers in Asia and South America, Eastern Europe. And one problem that my customers kept running into was payments. Because they had to pay each other across borders, and these were business payments as well. It was difficult for a variety of reasons. Just cross border payments in general are painful, but cross border business payments, when neither entity has worked together before, because these were brand new small businesses, was especially difficult. And these manufacturers were used to working with the h of the world, the Nordstroms of the world, where they already have a credit line set up. They, you know, these are relationships kind of spanning years. Payment was always in- incredibly painful. And I thought back to, again, like 2015 was when Ethereum launched. And so I knew about smart contracts. And so one of the thoughts I had was that the ability for smart contracts to allow anyone to write rules on top of money transfers or like value transfer is really really useful especially in this context where what people would love to do is to be able to release funds progressively across borders based on whether certain conditions have been met in the in the business negotiations or like in the business deal or like in in whatever order that they had made i started looking into crypto through that lens in the 2016 era Realized pretty rapidly that it wasn't going to work for my use case. Fiat on-ramps and off-ramps were, were non, non-existent or very messy. KYC and AML was very messy. So the infrastructure was extremely immature. But you know, I, I think the thought is that infrastructure can eventually become mature, but really the ability to write rules on top of money is is incredible. And so in 2018, you know, decided to get into crypto full time and and joined joined Electric then. And then NFTs was just out of my interest for for metaverses. I'm really into sci-fi. One of my favorite books, The Snow Crash. 2018, Decentraland hadn't really launched yet publicly. And so CryptoVoxels was the place where you could go to explore the metaverse. And so I spent a lot of time walking around in crypto voxels. And they were one of the first platforms to integrate with NFT platforms so that I could see not only was the land or like, you know, were the land parcels NFTs, but also you could hang up NFT art on the walls. And so I spent a lot of time just staring at NFTs through that content.
1: Yeah, it sounds like, you know, your intro to crypto, I would say is similar to a lot of people who joined pre 2021. And that's from like crypto through a lens of finance. And something that I really love about NFTs is now how it's reframing crypto and not a financial lens and so much more in art or a creator and more of a utility lens. And there's these two sides and even within nfts sure there's finance components but there's a lot more uses besides just crypto as a means to send payment you talk about that start on the supply chain and then getting introduced to some of like the metaverse ecosystem was there an inflection point where maybe it's when you're looking at art on you know a wall and in crypto voxels or something like that is there an inflection point where you realize that NFTs are going to have use cases that span across, you know, all industries and and different verticals.
0: You know, I was familiar with NFTs because I was familiar with CryptoKitties, for example. Played around with that. It, like, I feel like the use case didn't click for me when I was playing with CryptoKitties. Metaverses, I thought was interesting. It was. It was mainly just like, you know, this idea that you can own things digitally made a lot of sense in Snow Crash. And so, you know, it was exciting to me that we could like be feasibly moving toward that future. But I don't think, again, like I thought that was like, hey, this is cool. Like I don't think it really clicked for me then either. I think just what really clicked for me was when NFTs were first taking off in early 2021, even for someone who'd been familiar with NFTs and just like playing around with it on the side, that kind of takeoff for NFTs really took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting the number of creators and artists coming in to mint NFTs. And I certainly wasn't expecting the number of people to buy NFTs either. Because at the time, which you know sounds kind of silly now, even though it's just a year ago, but at the time it's like, well, if you can't display NFTs, like why would you ever own it? Like where would you put it? Who would look at it? There were a lot of questions like that. So you know, there were a lot of question marks when NFTs first started taking off, when creators first started exploring it. And so what I ended up doing was just I interviewed a bunch of artists and creators. I literally just DM'd people being like, hey, I noticed that you minted some NFTs. Like, super curious. How do you think about it? Would you want to talk to me? I just want to know, like, why? You know, (laughs) how do you think about pricing? Where are you getting your customers? Who's buying this? So I ended up chatting with a lot of artists and creators, like, just kind of like through this context. And I think what really struck me was... The ability for people all over the world to suddenly monetize their work, you know, in a way that just didn't exist before. A lot of creators who had just originally posted things on Instagram just to share all of a sudden like the the hours of work that they had poured into you know this digital artwork as an example could suddenly be sold and be owned just like the physical artwork that they had which you know they they spend an equal amount of time on both things so it kind of makes sense that you should also be able to sell this digital work but until NFTs like they just really didn't have that and so that was really fascinating you know like just being able to see people actually make a living off of this like actually make like a significant enough amount of money for them to pay more attention to it to like ease whatever like burdens they had was just so was really mind-blowing and so I think that you know that really was probably the inflection point for me
1: yeah yeah that that's interesting how you actually went and reached out to artists who had started to adopt like the tech and get like kind of first person interviews. I hope you have notes on that because looking back a year later, it would be kind of interesting to read a article on why some of them were starting to adopt and to sell and to see how that kind of translates to what we're still seeing today. I think the NFTs is a good transition from how you started thinking about crypto from the finance perspective, because all of a sudden, I think NFTs have unlocked some of the Ability to have the programmable money, you know, to actually use the smart contract to send funds based on certain business rules that you mentioned earlier. But now with royalty splits and like secondary market sales, it becomes so much more of the norm than maybe it would be in a traditional business setting. So cool to see some parallels there too. But you wrote an article called The Five New Frontiers for NFTs and... I'd like to walk through some of those frontiers that you've identified and talk through some of the predictions you're making and, you know, the belief that you have and how they will evolve over the years. So if you're good with that, I'd like to jump in. Sounds great. So the first frontier you call out is called proof of patronage, and it revolves around NFTs as being keys to exclusive content and opportunities and so I kind of understand from the analogy of how crypto-native forms of Patreon and Substack and OnlyFans are coming in the future, and you know how you can just create these decentralized versions based on token-gated access and NFTs giving you basically access to different tiers of content. But can you talk through why this could be better than traditional subscription-based models? And why that's really better for both the the creator and the consumer on both ends. You know, why do we need NFTs for access to to some of the forms of content that we're we're really more used to in a traditional subscription type format in web two?
0: I don't think NFTs are just like blanket useful for everything, but I actually do think NFTs are really useful for. The way I guess I think about NFTs and probably from like a more engineering mindset is that it's effectively like an open API that you can write against. Like everyone knows the rules of engagement for an NFT. You know, you can transfer it, you can buy it, you can sell it, you know who the owner is. And this is not hidden information anywhere, right? This is like, this is public information and this information and the rules of engagement being public allows you to build against that. And so I think the subscription model works fairly well in a one-to-one world where, you know, hey, I'm a creator, I have some subscribers and they are going to pay me directly. And that's great. Like that's kind of a, a nice, a nice thing we've got going. You know, the danger to that, which some creators feel, some creators don't feel is the platform risk. So, you know, for example, This is probably like the most applicable example that the most people have felt is when YouTube decides to change their definitions for what counts as an ad view, as an example. Like that impacts so many creators across the board in terms of what kind of revenues they're making. Similarly, you know, so many creators, when YouTube changes an algorithm, for how videos are surfaced. like That could significantly change the monthly revenue for a creator as well. And so I think, to some extent, the flaw in the one-to-one model, where there's one creator and then they're, they're kind of interfacing with their own community, is that there's some amount of platform risk, right? And then, of course, the greatest platform risk of all is if YouTube decides to ban you, if Twitch decides to ban you, and you no longer can reach that audience, through the distribution channel that you kind of spent so long cultivating. You know, I think NFTs and crypto kind of creates, or NFTs specifically creates this way for you to connect directly with your audiences to get paid directly, right? With no intermediary. And so no one can cut you off and you actually know exactly who your fans are at all times because your fans are the ones who are holding the NFTs. Like it's not hidden from you. It's not a username that you can no longer access. That's like one set, which I think... There's kind of like something has to go wrong for you to feel like this This is valuable. And so probably for a lot of creators, like this might not be actually a very valuable scenario. It just seems like a doomsday scenario. I think the more interesting, like the, the non-doomsday, just like new use case model for why subscription, like NFT-based subscription is interesting, is that, again, because it's an open API, anyone can write against it. Like if you think about the way that memberships work today... I used this example with with someone the other day, which is like you know if you're a member of Equinox and you're paying Equinox some amount of money to access their fancy gyms, that says something about you. You know, it says that you're fairly mobile. It says that you care. You know, you care about your health. It says that you have dis- enough disposable income, or at least is willing to to allocate a pretty substantial part. You know, of money to care for your health in some way. So there's like a, a set of interests that it denotes and there's like a in in some cases, it denotes like a social economic status. In some ways, it also denotes your geographic location. In that, maybe you are you are perhaps really close to like a city center, and all of those things are actually like characteristics that are pretty interesting, right? So, like if I were running a smoothie shop, I might want to attract more people who are health conscious in that way, have disposable income in that way, and so the ability for these interests to kind of be shared through like noting through like owning the nft itself i think is interesting so like you can think of a world where if this membership were an nft i can go into the smoothie shop and like prove that i own this equinox nft and this smoothie shop doesn't need to like you know, ping the Equinox servers. They don't need to talk to Equinox at all. All they have to do is say like, oh, you own this membership NFT. I know, like I can verify that you own this membership NFT. Therefore, you did pay for it. Therefore, you do have these characteristics. Like therefore, you know, maybe you get a discount on your smoothie, something like that. This is like kind of like a toy example. But I think this this is like widely applicable even in the NFT space today. We can see like crypto native ways of this emerging where, for example, during NFT NYC, there were parties where like, you know, only a board Ape members could attend. And that was held by like the Board Ape Yacht Club in general. But actually it doesn't even need to be, right? There were also parties where you know, there were like five different NFT collections where it's like if you owned any one of the following five collections, you are welcome to the party and that party was not held by Bored Ape Yacht Club. Like that party was not held necessarily by any of the collections. It was just held by an entity that was interested in connecting with people who owned those things. So I think that kind of like that kind of ability for people to compose or like to to leverage that membership and kind of what it says about the person is an interesting shared way of of working with subscriptions and memberships in general. And then I think lastly, like this is, this is probably just cool. I don't know like how exciting it is as a use case, but I do think it's interesting is just the ability for you to like sell your membership. And that's not something you like right now you can only start a membership and you can like cancel a membership, but you can't, you can't sell it. I kind of think about like, there are like really exclusive golf clubs, right? For example, where it's like, there's only limited number of memberships. And you have to wait for some like, you have to wait for a member to die before you can like become a new member before that like, thing frees up. And so I think when you have systems where you own the membership itself, you can actually like sell that off, you can trade it, you can speculate on it. And so it kind of opens up like a neat world of things that the membership holder can do as well.
1: Totally. There is a lot to unpack there. You mentioned a lot of different kind of reasons why this proof of patronage type of functionality for NFTs are important. A couple things I want to mention are, as you were talking about, like the Equinox and Smoothie example, it kind of popped into my mind on how for so long, just in the I would say in business planning and city planning and real estate. And when you're looking to buy your first home, you pay attention to what schools are nearby or what businesses, how close are you to a grocery store. And all of a sudden in this like digital world though, some of those principles I think are still there. It's what can this give me access to? And the more popular that membership card becomes, the more other people like – but the cool thing about the digital world is, you don't need to live near me to build something cool or useful for me to access. Uh, anyone in the world can now build a service or an application or something really, like really fun that I might like that my access card gets me. And but now without those physical barriers. So I think it's a, re- a great analogy to the, the smoothie shop. It's just the smoothie shop has to be next door to the Equinox to actually attract customers. Whereas if you hold an NFT, you can go anywhere in the metaverse and and access a business or a service.
0: You see that happening in the NFT collection, like minting process as well, where we're starting to see cases where if you own a certain NFT... You can kind of be front of the line for minting a new collection. And from the new collections point of view, that's like a new distribution channel for them to actually like be able to market to people who would be interested in their NFT collection and kind of like offer a carrot, right, to to engage with this new collection and then from the NFT holder's perspective, it obviously just means like, hey, I got more utility out of my NFT. Like, that's awesome. Like, more utility is always better. You know, I think it's it's like a fairly simple concept. Like, I think like five years from now, people are going to be like, why did we ever think this was like not a good idea? Like, why was this ever weird for memberships to be NFTs? But I do think we're like in that discovery phase of figuring out, you know, what it's useful for. And then I, I think these cases will, will just become so natural eventually that... It'll be crazy that we ever questioned it.
1: Yeah. You know, talking just on this idea of memberships, I want to bring up the topic of kind of diversity and inclusion because the concept of a membership is it's an exclusive group. And I kind of like your take on do you feel like this membership, the NFTs with limited collections and there's just this massive focus on scarcity do you think that limits certain groups from being able to participate in NFT communities? Or is what we're seeing right now around the kind of the membership and exclusive access really just more stemming from the fact that this market isn't big enough for it to demand, you know, hundreds of thousands of people wanting to jump in? So that's why membership limits are set to to kind of give it the feel Like, there's the demand. You know, if you only make 10,000 and there's a market for 10,000, it feels like people want it. Whereas if you made a hundred thousand collection and there's only 10,000, all of a sudden it feels like not that many people are into this.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's both. I think we definitely create scarcity to kind of like showcase the demand for certain things and to make people aspire to to being part of the group. I think a lot of cases, like also smaller groups, you know, it's easier to coordinate, it's easier to communicate and like people, it's such a primal, you know, kind of like the monkey part of our brain that we want in groups and out groups, right? Like we want tribes, like we want You know, I think another way of putting it is just like we want a feeling of community. The flip side of community is that you like it takes walls for a community to form, right? Like there's like a line somewhere to say this is a community and that is not the community for you to feel that affinity to that group of people. That concept of exclusivity is not negative and not bad. What I think is negative and, and problematic and something that I think the NFT space in general like everyone should be thinking about obviously like myself included is like how is that line drawn and why is that line drawn and who can access that the other side of that line. Right now that line is drawn based on purchasing power and I think that is problematic from you know both in terms of like, does that mean that people without purchasing power can't access these communities, as well as just for the communities themselves, right? Like the people who have the highest purchasing power might actually not be the best community members. If you think about the like amount of engagement that these, or like the creativity it takes for for people within these communities to like take initiative and say like, hey, I have this new idea, you know, I have this new idea that can drive value to the community at large. That actually has nothing to do with how much money that person has. And it has everything to do with like their skills, their experiences, their background. And therefore, when we draw lines of who gets to access the community based on purchasing power, you're actually like – you're not actually like – Letting in the right people necessarily, like those conditions are not necessarily the right conditions for a very healthy, very active, very dynamic community. And I think that's, you know, that's an evolution that we'll, we'll likely see and have to see. And, and NFT communities will be incentivized to solve that problem because you're always incentivized to like how do we attract talent how do we attract the the best designers how do we attract the best community managers and so necessarily i think people will shift from like okay who can afford this to like oh how can we let the best people earn a spot in this community and how do we let them access this community and i think that'll that'll be a shift that we'll we'll just naturally see i think there is at this moment in a time a problem with diversity and inclusivity
1: Yeah, you totally make good points around how community is formed and how the money can be the barrier to entry where it should be, in certain cases, the contributions and reputation you have within that community. Thanks for making it this far into the episode. I hope you're learning a lot. We just launched a new Discord channel last week within our server for the Unstoppable podcast. In the channel, you'll find a cool surprise. So head over to the Unstoppable Domain server, find our podcast channel, and check it out. And you'll want this password when you're there. It's podcast NFT. That's podcast NFT, one word. That's all I'll say for now. So stay tuned for more passwords in future episodes. See you in Discord. Now, let's get back to the pod. Which I think brings us to another frontier you mentioned in your article that I'd really like to touch on. And that's around on-chain reputation and identity so maybe we can switch to to this kind of nft topic and talk through some of the predictions you have around that because the identity you have on chain in the example you were just talking about could lead to potentially being included in a certain community so can you walk me through your thesis around like on-chain reputation and identity and how we have a identity in today's digital world and how we could have an identity in the web three digital world.
0: When I first published this article, it was like almost there there were like very few projects kind of thinking about things like this. And now they're they're actually a ton, which is really cool and really great to see. You know, the way that reputation and identity works in the real world is like, okay, you're given You're given a name at birth, you know, you didn't choose that, but, you know, most people are fine with that. I think that's okay, but it's a government issued identity that you have. And then, you know, when you think about reputation, there's, You kind of like opt in, right? Like we kind of think about LinkedIn as probably like one version of our reputation where that's our work reputation. We have different types of reputation, but like, you know, as an example, our work reputation is whatever we decide to put into LinkedIn. And we can be like, oh, you know, Maria, like she studied political science and computer science and like, you know, she worked at Microsoft. And these are like lines that we can have. And then other people read those lines and make a determination on whether or not that's a good fit for whatever work that they have. So that's kind of how things work in the real world. And and that's because like, you know, when I work at Microsoft, no one's like writing that down, right? Like no, there's no like ledger that's just like jotting down like, oh, Maria worked at Microsoft or like Maria, like, you know, I don't know, went to college. This is what she studied. Like none of those things are like written in a place that's very easily accessible, But what's kind of funny about blockchain is like actually everything is written on the blockchain when you do something on it, right? So like when someone decides to like mint a CryptoPunk, like that is a line that's just automatically written. No one opted in. It's just, it's there and it's actually openly accessible to everyone. When you decide to like become a liquidity provider into a certain pool that's just written, you don't opt in everyone just knows about it. This kind of reputation is just like floating in the ether in crypto and what is really interesting is that because it's all kind of written down that reputation is is open for everyone to to look at and for everyone to access. And so you know again as a just as an example, let's say you were like an early bored ape you know purchaser. You actually can tell exactly based on the blockchain, like who who was an early, you know, owner of Bored Ape and who wasn't. And so you could theoretically issue an NFT to people who were early in Bored Apes. And you can call that group like the OG Bored Apes, right? That could be an NFT that denotes some sort of reputation. And you could say that, like, oh, you know, if you were early in board dates, that means that you were into NFTs, you know, around that point in time in 2021, that you were early in spotting a trend and that, like, you know, maybe that says something about your judgment about NFTs. I don't know if it actually does, but, like, maybe it does, you know, like, someone can make that argument, in which case, like perhaps that group of people, like perhaps people who own that NFT that denotes that part of the reputation can access either a new collection or maybe they can be investment members of like an NFT investment DAO and like they get special voting privileges. You know, it's just kind of like the options are endless, right? It's whatever value you attribute to that action. But I think just the fact that like everything is published on chain and everything is out in the open makes reputation and identity a much more public thing in crypto. And that basically is is just not something that exists in the real world. And so that's pretty interesting as well, especially when you think about like DAOs and the way that they want to reward contributors. They don't need to track who contributed what. They can kind of like look on chain to see what happened. They can also say like, oh, if you – You know, if you were really active in governance and other DAOs, then you're welcome to our DAO because you're probably going to be a really active governance participant. And so all of these things are just like super, super easy to do in the Web3 world.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that us at Unstoppable Domains is thinking a lot about and how you can prove and track the contributions you make on chain and, and make that more accessible to other protocols, other applications, decentralized applications, so that they can start identifying you as a name on the blockchain and then offer you certain, whether it's a promotion, or it's an access, or anything that's really up to the, the creative imagination, how you can start offering things to people based on what they've done provably. It brings up really interesting use cases, and it's good to see people are starting to work on them. You know we could talk about the frontiers the five frontiers that you discussed probably for another two hours but i'd say let's let's transition into some easier questions i do appreciate the conversation around identity and reputation and and proof of patronage let's move on to what i'm calling our one two web three so i've got a couple questions for you around the first one being what is your favorite nft
0: it's probably like the first art NFT that I purchased. Like I'd purchased like land before, but i never like purchased something by a creator. And this was an NFT I purchased because I interviewed that creator to figure out why she minted NFTs. Man, I I don't want to get her Twitter handle wrong. I think she goes by It's Vow, like at It's Vow on Twitter, and she has a collection called The Way In. Which is just this like really beautiful photography collection that she she has. I think G Money actually purchased like her entire collection at some point as well, like early on in the in the NFT rise of NFTs in early 2021. But yeah, it's really beautiful. It has this, it's like a very surreal photograph of this woman who is like peeking into this. You know, brand new, strange world. And to me, that was really actually how I felt about crypto and Web3 and NFTs and blockchain in general. And so it just really spoke to me, and I purchased the piece.
1: Love it. I I like how it ties into your early NFT story, and also it brings up a concept that we don't have time to dive into today around like the curation layer that's coming to Web three, and how you mentioned you know, G money bought this collection a notable a notable figure in Web three. I mean that's a stamp of approval. I'd even say that a uh, Maria Shen purchasing of this NFT is another stamp of approval. So being able to see what people are buying and see how that can curate collections in the future is something I'm interested in. Another question I've got for you is who's an influential Web3 creator, entrepreneur, investor, collector that's really inspired you or educated you?
0: I really like maybe Justin Aversano. Like he has a photography collection called Twin Flames. And again, he also was someone that I spoke to early on when I saw that he was doing a lot of NFT stuff and, you know, just kind of... asked him, like, how'd you get into this? Like, why are you doing this? You know, he's helped a lot of artists on board into NFTs. And he's also just like a really amazing person at building community as well. And so it's just been really cool to see how he's risen in the NFT space. And you know, I think his, his pieces are super coveted now. It's been auctioned off in like Christie's and Sotheby's. And it's been kind of amazing to witness his journey.
1: Yeah, I I really like the Twin Flames collection. I think that is a, a really great example of what an NFT collection can feel like how it feels cohesive and each piece is unique, but, you know, still part of something greater. And last question before giving you the chance to kind of let people know how they can connect with you and where to follow you online in five years, what's the craziest thing that we'll be doing in the metaverse that people just aren't thinking about yet?
0: I wonder if in five years, we're all going to be like farmers in the metaverse, like it's, you know, like in the sense that like, we'll have unique resources on the piece of metaverse land that we have, and we'll be like utilizing that, we'll be mining that, we'll be farming that, we'll be like trying to sell goods and services. And so it's almost like a return to like a medieval cottage industry type of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think that might be pretty interesting once everyone becomes like, a landowner, you know, with an ownership over a small patch of resources and kind of what that means in terms of how that impacts our livelihoods, how we spend our time and like what we put our, you know, what we put resources in, like our time and, and resources in as well.
1: Yeah. You know, I had a pretty similar thought to something like that recently. And I, I felt like it was almost too, like, pie in the sky to really think it was real but it makes me think of like play to earn gaming what you just talked about and how you can play a game and earn some kind of currency or something of value through your contributions whether that's like your time or actually like farming a resource in a game and just like ai can learn by like taking thousands and thousands of iterations and being rewarded for maybe taking a a step in the right direction and it kind of made me feel like we could be moving towards almost becoming an AI if you're if we're in these scenarios where we're playing games to earn something of value, we're kind of just iterating thousands and thousands and thousands of times over, and being optimized to take the action in the game to earn the reward. And so I was like, oh oh gosh, are we becoming an AI if play to earn and and we're all farming in like the metaverse? a little bit
0: of a dystopian view, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still here for it, but uh, just, a, just a thought I had. But Maria, I appreciate the conversation today. Can you please, can you please let everyone know how they can connect with you and, and where to follow and, and learn more about what you're up to and the investments you're making?
0: So I'm at Maria Shen on Twitter. You can find me there. My DMs are open. Feel free to message me. And then you can learn more about the investments that Electric Capital makes at Electric Capital as well on Twitter or electriccapital.com.
1: Awesome. Well, I appreciate the conversation. Thanks so much. And we'll be sure to follow what's going on from the Electric Capital perspective and, and what you're doing on Twitter. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Please be sure to tune in next week to the next episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. and We'll, we'll see you later. Peace out. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. And remember, this conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening.